in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Chip, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. How are you doing, Casey? Not too bad. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri-Marketing out of Morton, Illinois, and he's kind enough to come on once a week to sit down and talk about what's going on in the markets. You know, fortunately, Chip, since we started doing this about almost, uh, almost three years ago, we've had no lack of things to talk about and you know today is is uh no exception so a couple things i want to hit on today to get your opinion um i read two articles this morning when i was getting ready for the uh podcast one was from uh on the ag web and they're talking about um the phase one chinese trade deal and basically they were saying you know hey look don't get too excited here china's just buying what they need and of course then there was a political spin to it of sorts that was you know there's a guy was on talking about how how much better joe biden's going to do for um exports with china because he understands blah 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 blah. right um i guess what's your thoughts on that i mean we've talked about this quite a bit to some extent on on here and i'm i think you and i both are in the same camp that that china's going to buy when china wants to buy and uh they're going to get it from the cheapest source out there and they're wanting to renegotiate that phase one because they feel it's one-sided towards the u.s so i guess what's your thoughts on that um well you opened a big can of worms there That's right baby um, dropping hammers so yeah, early there's already uh there's already talk like you you mentioned in uh in the mainstream media which means it's uh, just getting softened up for uh, the general public of a uh, total redo of this uh trade agreement so um yeah i would say uh, that i agree with you he, he does know how to handle china and let them walk all over us so that's probably what's <laughs> about to happen in about uh yeah you know 35 days or whatever here 40 yep. days uh come mid-january and um does that mean they're gonna buy more grain from us uh i don't know um i think that you know one thing about china is in the negotiations that they hold uh china comes out ahead partially because um you know they don't really very uh they don't do very well honoring contracts <clears throat> um and when things change they want to change the contract um you know major grain buyers for decades have uh, struggled with that um uh, you know buying grain one day selling it the next canceling it the next reselling it somewhere else and you know they might do that five times from the time it leaves the gulf to the time it uh it's the mainland. Um, so I don't know what that means as far as uh, them purchasing, um, you know, additional U.S. goods. I, I think that it worked out well for them this year because in the end result, after the fact, I think that they had some crop problems with all the flooding they had right. in the south. Uh, they had a lot of uh, a dry weather and, and insect pressure uh, in the main areas of the north. I think trade agreement or no trade agreement, they were going to buy uh, a lot of grain, beans, corn, wheat, pork, beans, all of it um, from us and other places in the world, irregardless of a trade agreement. It just happened to uh, coincide with um, something that uh, they could kind of use in, in their favor. So kind of worked out well for them. 
I, I think it's too early to, to say what that means as far as grain trade goes. But uh, as far as the uh, balance of trade and, you know, us importing cheaper goods at the expense of U.S. manufacturing, that's probably uh, going to change for the worse, I would guess, uh, in the very near future. But it's, uh, I think, too early to tell what that means for uh, grain trade between, uh, you know, China and the United States. It probably means what it always means. Um, if they need it, they're going to buy it from us. If they don't, they're not. If it's cheaper somewhere else in the world, they're going to buy it there. I mean, I think that's they pretty well um, have said that, you know, notwithstanding this trade agreement, even right all through the, the discussions on uh, this current trade agreement. They said that we'll buy it from you if market prices dictate. And it just so happens that uh, for the last few months, market prices have uh, swung our way and they're buying it from us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what it's, that's the language in the, in phase one. We'll buy it from you as long as it makes sense. Basically I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, I mean, that's, that's the language in, in the phase one agreement. So it's not like they're not actually, you know, doing something they said they wouldn't do, you know? So it's, it's, it's all right there to start with. Exactly. Crazy stuff going on. Um, Citibank comes out with the, I, I don't want I want to bring this up just for the sheer fact of, if this does happen, my God, this is a twenty will look like a like a great year compared to twenty one. But you know, Citibank comes out with a uh, a projection that the U.S. dollar is going to decline by twenty uh, percent. Which, I mean, that would that's like this depressionary era level type of collapse of monetary collapse there. So I mean, I guess I don't know. I'll spend a lot of time on that. But I mean, I guess what's your thoughts there? I mean, that's that's just a huge. That's a big number to see that come in one year. Yeah, it is. And um, something's got to give in this. You know, it's exactly. been uh, yeah. years and years now of zero interest rates, um, you know, pumping money into the system, money printing, um, you know, bailouts, so to speak. I think, you know, there's already been talk where they're trying to get another massive, um, you know, stimulus package through talking about additional lockdowns in different states, Michigan already, uh, you know, Chicago shut down parts of New York. Our governor's saying, uh, we're probably very close to a stay at home here in the whole state of Illinois. Um, you know, businesses shutting restaurants shutting. So there's, uh, going to be another massive, um, you know, uh, aid package. So you, you can't, um, have that environment, without some sort of inflation and it's almost like a race to the bottom right when you right. talk about the dollar it's always in relation to some other currency so one's gaining and one is losing in relation to the other and it's not like we're alone in the world right europe has kind of led the race to negative interest rates we're not quite there yet um you could argue we are in some durations of uh, the yield curve but um you can't have that never ending and not have inflation that's what uh, people don't seem to uh, get through their through their head i'm certainly not a nobel uh, prize winning economist but when you put money into the system when you raise minimum wage um talking about uh you know wiping out student loan debt um when you put money in the hands of people um, it increases prices. It leads to inflation. There's just no two ways about it. And uh, all the zero interest rate 
the negative interest rate policies here for years and years and years, it looks like the foreseeable future. Um, all that's going to do is decrease uh, the dollar. And, and when you decrease the dollar, it increases prices and it just leads to inflation. So, um, you know, I think that's probably going to be something that uh, we're going to fight for a while here. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're going to get $15 minimum wage uh, nationwide, but, you know, a loaf of bread's going to double too. So you're not going right. to get as much for the $15 an hour that you're working for. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Yep. Yeah, economics is a complex thing, but not totally if you get the, the basic fundamentals, right? It's not over, overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes difficult. they try to make it harder than it is, and then you've got uh, a lot of opinions in there, a lot of politics in there, and uh, everything's so politicized anymore. Um, you know, there's people out there saying debt doesn't matter. And <laughs> that's great. You know, I that you know they have won Nobel prizes in economics. Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that doesn't matter then, huh? Uh, cool. Glad, glad I just found that out. That's great. Uh, all right, so let's jump down, talk about Brazil and Argentina for a minute. We've been been having a they're under a microscope right now, and everyone's paying attention to what's happening right now in in Brazil and Argentina with the dryness that we see happening, and and uh, you know where where we're at in the U.S. with carry out. In, in stocks and those kind of things compared to where we're at now in um, South America as we come into their into their uh, their summer harvest. Um, Brazilian corn got uh, trimmed back about 2 million metric tons and uh, to back to 106 metric tons. And uh, the uh, ag minister's neutral to bias, or sorry, is uh, neutral to lower moving forward on, on what he thinks that uh, will happen there. And the same with uh, with Brazilian soybean crop. They've really made no change there, but they're kind of still having around that 130 million metric ton mark. And then if you start looking at what's going on in Argentina, they're, they're trimming their, theirs back about 1 million metric tons. So starting to see some shape up there that this could be a smaller crop than what they thought, but as this dryness continues. So as you take a look at that situation now compared to where we were at last week, what are your thoughts with the information coming out of South America? Yeah, from what I read, um, and, and you know, different sources that you know are pretty reliable as weather goes. Uh, and all that being said, I'm not a weather person, and I hate weather markets. But we are smack dab in the middle of one. Um, it's it's bad and getting worse down there. It looks like to me in in the main growing areas of southern Brazil and all across Argentina. Uh, it's surprising. You mentioned that there hasn't been really many downward revisions in their production yet. That, and it is still early. I mean, there's time for them to get some rain, but they're they're fighting La Nina. There's no indication that's going to uh, change anytime soon. In fact, there's some talk that's going to push right on through into our growing season this spring. Uh, we'll worry about that when when that time comes. But right now, front and center in the in the target here, the bullseye is South America. And you know, the thing about this is, <clears throat> um, a couple weeks ago, USDA, you mentioned pretty well unchanged as far as Brazilian production, like 133, if I'm not mistaken. That morning, um, they had uh, a, a estimate down there from Brazil of like 134.9. That's a massively high bar. And with our carryout shrinking, if that dry weather would continue, you know, say four to six weeks from now, which it looks like all the way in through kind of mid um, second week of December now, 
there's not much in the in the way of uh, rain down there. If that continues and those um, private and you know public private and, and government projections start coming down, um, that's going to be potentially explosive for the bean market as world carryout starts shrinking. And then you just kind of have this whole um, you know cascading domino effect. So they started planning super late, um, you know, needing rain to get some germination. Um, their season's shortening up. That means their second crop corn window is is shrinking. That's kind of a narrow window anyway. Um, it just is a cascading effect. And so it not only could affect uh, bean yields, obviously, but it could affect their second crop corn production and acreage. And so it's uh, it's a massive, massive uh, issue down there. Uh, again, there's time for them to get some rain and for the conditions to change. But this isn't something new. They've been fighting this trend for a long, long time. Finally got in, in many areas of Brazil a couple of weeks, about three weeks ago, maybe four now, a little bit of moisture at least to start planting into. But that's uh, a lot of that's gone. And uh, in my mind, we've got the makings of a, of a real big problem down there. Um, in, in some of the main areas, keep in mind, they're spread out. You talk about from the northern Brazilian uh, areas to, you know, the southern Argentina areas. It's a massive area, you know, it goes from well north of the Canadian border all the way um, down into Mexico. If you would, you know, superimpose that growing area on uh, North America, it's a massive area. So we're not talking about every single acre down there, but it's a big enough area that it really could ding their production. And um, the market's watching that. If they get rain, uh, you're going to see the bean market maybe beat up a little bit. But if that trend continues of dry weather on into, um, you know, the first of the year, right around Christmas to to uh, right after the first of the year, then we have, um, you know, kind of passed the point of no return. And they have a big problem down there. And um, as tight as we are in ending stocks in beans, and the fact that our corn carryout shrinking and the world carryout shrinking, if they don't get that second crop of corn in on time or delay or you know reduce their their planted acreage down there for the second crop of corn, it could really be a game changer and really add some volatility and some price appreciation um, here. All that being said, we can't get too bold up because um, you know big crops down there, and you know we're still fighting potential shutdowns. Coronavirus is the is the vaccine going to work? Is it not? Is it going to? When's it going to be here? Type of a, a scenario. There's still plenty of risks out there, but uh, it it could become very explosive based on the weather down there, and everyone's uh, you know fully attuned to that and watching it like a hawk for any precip increases. But right now they are really fighting dry weather. Yeah, yeah. There's a like you said, there is a big issue down there uh, brewing, and, and what does that look like, especially going into um, if if this La Nina thing um, continues into the U.S. Uh, through our planting and, and summer year, uh, it's going to be dry for sure, definitely for sure. Um, let's talk about what's going on in the hog market right now. So they've had some um, some decent runs here of late um looks like hog slaughter numbers are down from a year ago um but overall they've had some some pretty big ups now china has um kind of trend back a little bit on what they're buying as far as hogs go but for the most part they're still buying quite a bit so what's your 
what's your short-term look on hogs and kind of what's your long-term look like? Boy, you're asking the tough questions for a Tuesday morning. Getting after here, Chip. Fully have, I don't fully have the caffeine flowing through my, my blood yet, but, man, you are uh, setting a high bar here. Uh, so the hog market, um, we can produce hogs, and we've proven that. And uh, we're efficient, and we can put the pounds on, and we've got big numbers of hogs. Uh, luckily, China has been uh, buying a lot of our pork. At the same time now, which is driving some of this uh, massive soybean purchases that we've seen from them, they're trying to rebuild that hog herd. Um, I'm not sure that they've got the the African swine fever uh, issue fixed. Um, You don't hear much about it. And they're trying to rebuild their hog herd in in a very rapid way. And so we're in that transition. How fast can they do that? Um, Do they have that, um, you know, African swine fever uh, uh, in control? Is it going to rear back up and cause them massive problems? So we're in that uh, transition time. And you maybe hit the nail on the head. Every week, we're going to watch the export sales report on Thursday and see how much uh, pork uh, China has has uh, taken. It's been big numbers. They've actually slowly started increasing their beef uh, purchases from the United States as well. Not to the extent that we see on the, on the pork side. And so we're in that transition. I think the uh, you, you you rewind a few months ago, um, you know, when we had the packing plants shut for COVID and the whole supply chain issue, um, you know, just disastrously low prices, uh, negative margins, and, and hog producers have been fighting that for a while. I think that spurred some some liquidation, um, some sow slaughter, some uh, you know maybe the, the smaller producers. Um, finally just exiting the business and so maybe we're starting into maybe a little more balance now um as far as that production goes versus what the demand has been but uh you know that's something we're going to fight going forward and that's you know i think that's going to be the, the name of the game for years and years we've heard the story and and read the stories you know china's going to drive things here and a population of three plus billion people is, is a huge demand driver in the world um you know, how are we going to feed China and the rest of the world? Well, we're, we're seeing that right now. And, and unfortunately, that's hard to, to peg. It's, it varies from year to year based on their production. Um, they've shown if, if they need product, they will get it from the rest of the world. But at the same time, you know darn well, they're trying uh, their hardest to be self-sufficient and produce what they need. And so there's going to be that battle. And that's not something that's going to be two months or six months. That's probably going to be something that... Uh, last well into uh you know our kids and grandkids lives and we're going to be you know debating that on a year-to-year basis so uh that's a that's a long answer i think in the short run the hog market looks pretty good we've we've seen uh, some some pressure in here recently i think that's maybe some bigger numbers i think once we get um you know maybe after the first of the year things start looking a little bit better but right now the hog market uh, certainly off its highs at some support areas that are, are kind of critical here, um, and and the cutout and cash markets have have slid a little bit, but um, you know I think once we get through a little bit of a glut here over the next few weeks of supply, uh, you know maybe things start looking better out into the first and and second quarters of uh, 2021, but you know we have to kind of watch uh, these global shutdowns and and COVID and and world demand as well. So there's a lot of 
a lot of uh, ingredients in the in the stew right there that we've got to kind of mix up and watch. Yep, that's my biggest fear is going back through a shutdown again, um, just because of where where we're at right now is a good place. We're we're making some headway. We're we're getting things back to going. We're we're kind of chugging along, and I'm afraid if we had a another four to six week shutdown as as uh, some of Biden's uh, you know advisors are, are wanting to do. I, I don't know how many of these these small businesses and and farms and those kind of things can survive something like this. And again, back to your point, like we talked about earlier with the, with the economic side of it. You can't just keep pumping money back into the deal. You know, give someone a, a four to six week vacation and pay their salary and everything else that goes along with that, and then somehow when it comes back out, that somehow they're just going to flip a switch and it's all going to come back on. I, 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 we saw how long it took to make that happen after the first time, and I can't imagine what it'd be like after the second time. Yeah, yeah, and we bounced back incredibly fast from that. We yep. we really did. If you go back and rewind and really think about where we were at and in March and April and all the supply chain issues, packing plants closed, um, negative crude oil, you know, ethanol, basically at a standstill. Um, not saying that can't happen again. I think the packing industry is um, much better prepared now. I think we know a lot more than we did. I think if you replay the shutdown again, we're going to keep the packing plants open. And that was, you know, two-thirds of the problem we had back then it, it wasn't a lack of demand for the meat it was just getting it through the pipeline and packing plants not being open and it caused some major disruptions and hopefully that was in itself was kind of a black swan once in a lifetime th- type thing <clears throat> and we've learned from that so i think if you replay the whole thing again and have a shutdown um i don't know that, that does a lot to uh, meat protein demand uh, right it, it might you could argue it increases it slightly it's already shifted from restaurants to people eating you know in, in their homes more um still a lot of carry out but I, I think we get through that better than we did last time if there is uh, another shutdown at least from the meat standpoint you get people off the roads that's still an issue for you know gasoline usage and in ethanol demand so that that still could be a, an issue there but i, I think from the from the meat side of the equation, I think we're much better equipped to, to handle that now. Not that there won't be problems and there haven't been problems. They've been, they've been fighting that all along as the whole, you know, every industry and the whole rest of the world have problem is you can't work remotely and, uh, at a packing plant, right? You can work remotely if you, uh, have COVID and I can stay at home and be on the, on the phone, but, uh, you can't cut meat remotely. And that's the, the issue that they've got there. Yep. Yeah, that's a big problem. And I, I like you, you know, I could go on for days about about that, but I won't. So there's a uh, there's plenty of uh, plenty of things going on out there that that need to have some well thought out planning put to it to make sure that you know things are squared away. And see, it's all it's all going to be fine. I mean, well, that's they're going to fix they're going to fix this COVID thing. Yeah, it's all going to be good. and uh, uh, We should do a whole podcast uh, maybe at night after I've had a couple bourbons, <laughs> and you should get my uh, my conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. I gotta get this out there because um, I I would probably put a lot of money on this uh, this theory um, coming true maybe three to six months from now. Um, but my guess is 
by about March, um, the the press will uh, have another pet project. And yeah, yeah. Uh, although COVID isn't going to go away, um, there's going to be a lot less fear and a lot less talk about it. And uh, the statistics, quote unquote, are going to show a great decrease in positivity. And um, but that's just me. I'm a I'm a tin hat conspiracy theorist. It just book it. Let's do it. I like it. And I'm with you. I think it's going to fade into the uh, page seven, like African swine fever did when it ran its course. And even though it's not gone away and it's still devastating the herd in China, um, we just don't hear about it as much. So it's, right. And I'm not saying it's not real. Don't hear me say that. I don't want it. I don't think I've had it yet. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want my parents to get it. I don't want anyone's grandparents to get it. I'm right. not saying it's not real. It's very oh, real. Oh, it's very real. Yes. Very I'm real. just saying, um, you know, the attention span uh, is is going to shift to something else, and it's still going to be there, but just not, you know, drive everyone's lives. And and magically, the statistics I think are going to go way down by about March because they're going to change the way they do the test results, which currently. Um, produce a false positive up to a third of the time. Yep, and that's pretty well documented. So, mm-hmm. yes. just wait, Casey. Yep, I, I'm. It's going to be all fine. I agree with you, but there's a yeah. Well, it's it has to go away. You know, midterms elections will be start. They'll be starting to ramp up with that whole thing in March. You know what I mean? So, oh my God, it's going to have to go there. It's going to have to. You had to go there. <laughs> Well, we don't even have the presidential election over yet, and, and some of the congressional elections. Yeah, that, that might take yeah. till the midterms. <laughs> it might, but uh, you know, I could go on for that one for a while too. But there's a there's a time and a place for someone to to uh, to just move. Well, you know, every state's got to certify everything before it's closed, and no one needs to, to do anything until and that's all that counts. That's all that counts, right? It's just. The states have to certify it, and when the states certify it, then it's done, right? But up until then, no one's won anything yet. So it's yep. a, yeah. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, you can't, you can't call a football game at halftime because you're up, right? You got a whole another exactly. half to play. So anyway, enough of that. All right, Chip, let's uh, let's jump over and talk about wheat. Man, we're all over the place today. <laughs> I am. I, I tell you what, I got a lot of sleep, and yeah. uh, I've been sipping on uh, some some high powered green tea here as we've been doing this. And yeah, you're asking the tough question. I dig it, man. It's sipping on the scissor. Here. Yeah, right on, buddy. All right, man. Uh, hard red winter wheat. Let's talk about that for a second. That has uh, for the third straight week in a row. You've seen a. Um, it's it's increased. Their the ratings have increased. The USDA is, incre- but it's still well below the average, right? So we still got a long ways to go before we're anywhere near what they would consider to be an, an average size, you know, crop and and what the what the good to excellent looks like and those kind of things. So wheat has really kind of been one of those things that that people are watching just like everything else because again, key growing areas are dry. The U.S. is dry. A lot of guys planted into into dry ground hoping for some rain not all of it's emerged yet so which is a you know it's not going to right so i guess so what's your thoughts on the wheat market right now i mean it just feels like to me that there's again this is one of those powder cakes that's ready to go off and we can start seeing some 
some really good runs here in wheat in the wheat market. Yeah, boy, man, you just I thought you know the hard questions were over and they just you just keep coming with the hits. Uh, that's complex. Um, so if you look at the world supply and demand tables, <clears throat> just look at world wheat carry out. You think, oh, we're good. We got plenty of wheat. The problem is we've got. Um, you know, some potential production problems in, in a lot of areas. Um, you know, the U.S. Plains, Kansas, Oklahoma being one, Russia, Ukraine, a major, major uh, production area being another. We already mentioned the dry weather in Argentina. That's, um, you know, affected their, their planting um, and, and, you know, maybe even nip some of their, their harvest down there on wheat. Um, so if, if you put maybe some production shortfalls in some of those areas struggling with dry weather right now, the, the supply and demand table on world wheat doesn't maybe look as plentiful uh, as it does on paper. And so the problem is now in the northern hemisphere, you're kind of going into that time frame where you go into dormancy. It's hard to kill the wheat crop, uh, you know, in winter. You mentioned the, the uh, crop conditions report. Uh, that's a, a pet peeve of mine as well. That's at best just kind of a, a beauty contest. <clears throat> it's hard enough to do that on corn and beans. And I, you know, I'm just a, a corn kid from Illinois, but I know enough about the wheat market and, and growing wheat to be dangerous. And I know enough that you can drive by a field of wheat out in Kansas, Oklahoma, and think, <clears throat> you know, there's a plant. Every, um, you know, 36 inches and you're like, that will make nothing. And by uh, May, it looks lush green and beautiful. And the opposite, you can drive by a wheat field right now and you think oh, that's the, the most lush green, beautiful field of wheat I've ever seen. And, you know, by July, it makes uh, eight bushels. So as far as the crop conditions on wheat go, I think they're less than useless, uh, but yet they put them out. Um the, probably the biggest thing about wheat right now is, is the seasonality of it. Um, yeah, it's dry in areas, but once you go into dormancy, it's really hard to, to know much about that crop or to really uh, make a big story that you're hurting the wheat crop until you come out of dormancy next spring. And, and we're in that time frame. I think wheat's going to be a follower here for a little while. Um, you know, China's had a little bit of an appetite for wheat, uh, not only from us, but other, other suppliers in the world. Um, if that would continue, that would help. But I think wheat for at least a, a period of time here into late winter is going to be more of a follower and kind of back to the old wheat market that we know and love. It's going to lag corn and beans. It's going to be the, the short lag of, of spreads against long corn and long beans for a little bit here and, and maybe struggle a little bit. But we've got the makings of some real problems. But I, we may not know more about production until, you know, maybe the the March, April timeframe in the Northern hemisphere. Once we know a little more about uh, how we got through winter and how much moisture and snowfall there was. And, and uh, it just may be kind of a dull period here for a little while in wheat, but we do have the makings of a, of a problem. Supplies are shrinking. That's a different scenario than we faced for five or six years where it just seemed like every year world wheat supplies just went up and up and up and you couldn't give wheat away. And there were piles of wheat everywhere we're going the other way, and that's why we've seen an increase in, in prices. And um, we, I think you just pause a little bit here. 
and you look and you say, well, wheat's acting kind of like a dog, like it, we're used to wheat acting like for years and years, but uh, it's you know kind of like the production cycle right now. I think uh, price levels, price action is going to go into a little bit of dormancy in here. And if we're still struggling with uh, with dry weather in these major production areas, Kansas, Oklahoma, Russia, and Ukraine, um, come April, May, uh, we got uh, some more explosive uh, action potentially coming in wheat. But we just have to wait between now and then to kind of see how things play out. Right on, man. Well, good stuff, Chip. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good information. And uh, appreciate you being on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you and get some more information about what Blue Reef can do for them, What's the best way to do that? Yeah, best way is just to give us a call, 309-550-7213. We'd love to chat with you with all the stuff we went over. What do you do with that? Um, and, and that's, you know, really where the rubber meets the road with us is uh, building a plan. Everyone's individualized and, and different. You need to take a plan with all that information, what works for you, and then execute that plan. And that is really hard to do so that's what we uh, try to help people with and we'd love to talk to you if you uh, would like some some help and advice on that yeah give those guys a call man chip's got a lot of great information and you know they're really good at working with that plan and, and building that that profitability skill for you helping you understand where that what that looks like so with that i'm casey seymour with moving iron podcast make sure you check me out on facebook twitter and instagram that's where you can find all the latest editions of the moving iron podcast as well as any moving iron blogs that i post you also check out movingironllc.com for all the latest information about the moving iron podcast or moving iron podcast moving iron summit coming up in nashville tennessee january 20th through the 22nd a lot of good information there a lot of great speakers check those out and all the information that you need to register for the for the event as well as um, book rooms and those kind of things right there on the website. But if you want more information about that, make sure you hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com and I'll get you whatever information you're looking for. Check out the Global Ag Network and great podcasters there like the Dryland Forward Podcast and all the antics that Brent and Landon put out there uh, every week. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with uh, Chip Nellinger. Let's go meet some iron folks. Out. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving